Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, guys. Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc, researcher. Santosh, it's been about a month since mm -hmm. we got to do everybody's read my favorite segment. <laughs> You're, you mean your favorite bi-weekly segment? That's the one. <laughs> All right, go ahead. It's time for... Journal Club! Yay! Yay! Oh, I can't hear anything out of my left ear anymore. Oh, whatever. It's not like it was an 80 plagues. Quit no. your whining. <laughs> that's that's true. That beep to beep beep. <laughs> I I'm not I'm not kidding. I have woken up at two in the morning <laughs> with me dreaming about beep 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 beep. Oh my god. <laughs> well, folks, it is an alternate week, and it's also been a while since we've checked in and seen what's going on with the pandemic. And uh, I, I don't know if I can make this joke, Santosh, but one of the first things I noticed in the news is when it comes to cancel culture, AstraZeneca's kind of getting canceled. <laughs> it really is. It really is. It's not... By the way, and it has nothing to do with like mocking or raising up cancel culture or whatever it is, but genuinely... From kind of from jump, you know, AstraZeneca's Chadox vaccine, they made every bad like marketing move in the book. And now they're getting slammed for it. Unjustifiably, I think this latest little revelation, but I think they've just lost enough faith with multiple organizations and the public. And now with the success of the others, including the new Johnson and Johnson vaccine a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's just there's no place for it anymore. We should have seen this coming when they named it Chad. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't be a vaccine like bro. 
Bro, dude, I can totally protect you, bro. Bro, let's do shots. Shots, 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 shots. And then it turns out that Chad wasn't really uh, taking as much shot as he thought because they didn't know what the hell the right dose was, and they gave a lower dose. And, you know, guys, this is where sloppy science gets you. Yeah. <laughs> it also Nobody likes sloppy science. You just Yeah, nobody <laughs> wants your sloppy science. It also probably doesn't help that it was ineffective against uh, a couple variants like the South African variant, and the major place it was being rolled out was in Africa. <laughs> that, it's really, really tough. Uh, with the mRNA vaccine, right, you have a long stretch of spike that you can kind of encode out, and it sprouts up, it is... It is kind of engaged with your major histocompatibility complex. It's, you know, your MHC, it's antigen presented. It's got a lot of beautiful things with it. Here you have a static protein and, you know, the, the efficacy is going to be a bit lower with it and you're not going to be able to get as much coverage across the entire spike. You're only just going to have, you know, the <laughs> just the tip. <laughs> you're you're just gonna have whatever you know that that protein part you have it's di it's more difficult to modify if we do have to cover for the variants and then boost people there's a whole bunch of bad things but i think josh it all started when there was sloppy science and they released those sloppy science results early number one they across the board even with the sloppy science they showed less efficacy than moderna and pfizer's or biontech's vaccines and now finally they've got some bad press surrounding blood clots and that's it you know no, nobody wants to do this anymore even though from the standpoint of real science like unbiased review it's a decent vaccine right so let's for all that we're beating up on chad us, <laughs> it does still work and it does still protect you and if that is the only vaccine that your country has access to it's still worth getting but a lot of the world has basically lost faith in the vaccine. And even though this, these newest reports of whether or not the vaccine's associated with thromboembolism and other blood clotting related conditions, right. we know COVID is. We suspect the AstraZeneca vaccine might be, and that will require more studies. But I, I think they have just made one misstep too many in the eyes of the public. And unfortunately, as a result, as I said, AstraZeneca is canceled. We we try to be as objective and as logical as we can be. But <laughs> yeah. Those two statements do not reconcile, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, those two things you know, towards how we view things like vaccines. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, Josh, from the standpoint of an infectious disease doctor and an epidemiologist and all these kind of things, when you're trying to convince a public where there's already vaccine hesitancy, there's already a loss of faith in, you know, giant pharmaceutical companies and all kinds of things. And, you know, even when we have a good vaccine, you have to overcome all these barriers already. You know, why now should we go and try to scratch out this extra battle of, okay, yet another vaccine, and it's fine, it's fine, and this kind of a thing. And 
the the upshot is most of us um, have just you know there's no reason for us to you know kind of fight this fight and sorry Chadox. So if we've lost the faith of the public in AstraZeneca Chadox, the rest of this mm. journal club is going to be about giving you a little bit of faith back that hopefully the next thing to be canceled will be COVID itself. Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of noise about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the one-shot, no-tears vaccine. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll take you with the one-shot. The no-tears, unfortunately, is is no good. <laughs> it's There's probably, you know, it's it's a shot, so it is a little pain. How many babies do you suppose they tested their shampoo on before, they, before it was <laughs> before no Before they were like, no tears. Nope, kids still crying. <laughs> I, I think they were... They were able to get to maybe like a certain point because they had to do human trials. It's an FDA approved project. You're talking about shampoo at this point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had to have come to a certain point, you know, but then after that, they got to be like, well, you know, no is relative. <laughs> so the yeah. one shot, no tears vaccine. So how's the J&J vaccine different? And when we're saying, oh, hey, it's a one shot, a one and done. Why is that not really any different from giving a one shot of, say, Pfizer or Moderna? Yeah, and to tell you the truth, Josh, uh, we now have pretty good efficacy data um, kind of post-marketing now. We're getting from phase three to phase four. We do have good data now for the first shot, what happens after the initial one vaccine for uh, the mRNA vaccine. So BioNTech's or um, Moderna's vaccines. We have enough data now to show that at least at 21 and 28 days, a little bit afterwards also, we have excellent antibody protection that maintains, not as good as if you get the booster, but, you know, you're, we're sitting at the efficacy, you know, close to like 80 plus percent, low 90s sometimes. So it may actually be, Josh, that the the mRNA vaccines were validated as a two-dose series in preclinical trials. Um, this is when we were giving them to you know our, our wonderful uh, animal friends. And then after that, the kind of model that they built everything on was a two-dose series afterwards. And now when you release the vaccine, it is very unethical to say, you know what, it, it might be okay if we try a one shot vaccine you can't just say that you actually have to try it out in the johnson and johnson case josh from the preclinical steps onwards they found decent efficacy with one dose um, and not much of an increased uptake of uh, antibodies and efficacy so they engineered a one shot schedule from the preclinical steps and that's what made it through that's why you know this one uh, so, became a one shot. And and I'm going to give a couple counter arguments in some ways, but I mean, we're going to talk sure. about a few of the differences, but this, oh, yeah. this basically becomes a science versus an ethics question. All right. And, right. and we'll, we'll dive into that very briefly. But the first major difference is the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is what we traditionally have done with vaccines. It is a former virus. 
It is. But then a piece well, of mRNA. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> well, there is, a, there is a difference, Josh. This is still a nucleic acid vaccine, which is still new in class. So it holds inside of the adenovirus particle that we have. We actually have the spike protein DNA inside it. Yeah, but it's still an adenovirus-based vaccine rather than a messenger RNA-based vaccine. So it is right in, in a lipid nanoparticle. Yeah, we didn't do that. And before. and we have had adenovirus-based vaccines around for quite some time. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. So for instance, Chad Ox, right? Um, the CH is for chimp. The AD AD is adenovirus. Uh, and so that vaccine is actually an engineered chimpanzee adenovirus vector with the spike protein actually sitting on top of the actual viral particle. This one, the adenovirus, uh, adenovirus 26 actually, encases uh, spike protein DNA in the middle without any adenoviral DNA. So the, the virus itself can't replicate. It just is a delivery mechanism to put the spike protein DNA inside of yo cell instructions. And then um, again, like the mRNA vaccine, um, your cell becomes the factory to make the antigen. Yeah, it's it's just, it's an attachment in an envelope. You might even call it a V-mail. <laughs> I like that. Oh my gosh. Why didn't anybody else think of that? Because scientists uh, are bad at naming things. We've been <laughs> over this. <laughs> All right. Trademark. <laughs> So, Trademark V-mail right here. So the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a V-mail. It takes a virus, it puts an attachment in it that is not going to infect you, and it allows it to replicate and provide defense. Now, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was shown to produce antibodies against COVID in 90% of people who received it after the first dose. I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you. So 90% of the people, if you get a shot, you're going to start producing antibodies. Mm -hmm. How many antibodies, how well will it protect you? Well, just like all the other vaccines they've tested, the amount of antibodies is far greater for those who receive two doses of the vaccine. But data released by Johnson & Johnson suggests that a single dose was 66% effective in preventing moderate to severe COVID-19. Okay, so two thirds out of people who got one dose simply wouldn't get any kind of severe COVID. And even among the ones who did, it was 100% effective in preventing COVID-19 related hospitalization and death. So you get one shot of Johnson & Johnson, you get enough antibodies that you may still get COVID, but it won't be bad enough to hospitalize or kill you. You do have to put the human factor in here. One shot versus two shots, you're going to get better adherence because you don't have to have the person come back after 21 or 28 days. So, you know, if you do a one and done, you can complete the series, quote unquote, and consider the person protected. Uh, that's, that's really a big one. And I, I think it was a good kind of, strategy because now people have a choice you can do a two-dose series um you know you can get that you know 98 95 protection whatever it was uh, and you know be really really covered or you know you're not at super high risk you're willing to get one shot go ahead and get a single shot of the johnson and johnson this uh, this adenoviral vaccine with the dna in it and you know you're good you're protected and 
Josh, the, the most recent data, Johnson & Johnson and the mRNA vaccines combined, uh, we would like to say that there's now good data to even show that the, the transmission rate of passing around the virus after you've been with, you know, vaccinated does drop. And it, it's variable, but it drops by a significant amount. Yeah, but I, I do want to point out for everyone saying, you know, well, only 66% of people get the one shot and and won't get, you know, COVID. Well, keep in mind, that's one shot. If you up the Johnson & Johnson to two, it hits roughly the same amount of prevention as the Pfizer and the Moderna around the 90s. That's why, you know, some of these other European countries were starting to give Pfizer as one dose to simply make sure all of their population. And that's where it becomes an ethical question. Yes, the preclinical science objectified trials showed that you can achieve 94% protection for any given individual. But would you rather have 94% protection in one individual as a government or get most of your citizens vaccinated at, you know, about 66% protection and limit hospitalizations? And that's really the end goal for our institutions, our governmental institutions. They are less concerned with any one individual's health. I, I know that's going to be tough for some of you to swallow, but trust <laughs> me on this. And more interested in making sure the population in general is protected and not overloading the healthcare system. So I would argue that at this point, the country is deciding to do one-shot doses or scaling back and trying to figure out clinical uh, vaccination schedules that only involve one shot of some of these vaccines are not terrible. It's I don't think it's unreasonable to say you can start giving one shot of Pfizer or of Moderna. Now, that said, if you have gotten one shot and you're scheduled for your second, go get it. I'm not telling you give up your second dose. I'm saying <laughs> that in places where there is a limited... Scarcity. Yeah, where there's yeah. scarcity it may be worthwhile to really focus on vaccinating more people as opposed to ensuring everybody gets two shots. Uh, right. And this is, this is the idea of vaccinating the herd, right? Of uh, trying to get as much coverage in the population as possible. Mathematically, you're reducing the overall probability of circulation, just like you said. I will say, Josh, that we've got um, the the first uh, Janssen trial, Janssen, uh, uh, you know, Johnson and Johnson, or Josh. I know you love naming naming conventions in the scientific world. J N J seven eight four three six seven three five. Catchy, right? Incredibly, so, that's practically a yeah. pop song. <laughs> so the initial trial that has been published now for the single shot was Ensemble. And now Ensemble 2, again, wonderful naming conventions, is the two-dose trial, which is ongoing right now for a two-dose regimen of the Janssen vaccine. So it's not like they've forgotten about it. Uh, they're, they're going ahead and trying it out right now. And so you could enroll in this trial potentially. Excuse me. See, and, now that's uh, a good name for a vaccine, Ensemble. Yeah. On so <laughs> like you're getting together. Yeah, it took a lot of yeah, folks yeah. to come together and work on something. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, it's the name of the trial, not the actual vaccine. With all you're the, the name the of the trial. <laughs> well, let's move on to our next study. So now that we've had a chance to explain the J and J eight six seven five three zero nine. 
<laughs> vaccine, I got your number. I'm gonna take you fine. Johnson and Johnson's in trial seven eight something five three oh anyway. Uh I got it. I got I got my vaccine at the wall, Greens. The next study we're going to talk about is from Pfizer. Now, one of the countries that has been most effective in, in vaccine rollout is Israel. And as such, they have been sharing a lot of their data with Pfizer and BioNTech. And on Thursday, some of the real-world live data from Israel suggests that the vaccine is 94% effective in preventing asymptomatic infections, meaning it can significantly reduce transmission even of people who don't know they're infected. Yeah, we were so excited to get this data, Josh. And this pairs with uh, quite a, a kind of a, a uh, what do you call it, a huge avalanche of papers that's come with the post-phase three data, a lot of emergency use authorization. And now that we've given out millions of doses, we can actually track and get the answers to these questions that we had been seeking. I'm super excited about this. This is true of BioNTech's vaccine. It's true of the uh, the other one from Moderna, that we're able to genuinely reduce not just disease, but transmission. Oh my gosh. So let's talk a little bit about some of the numbers coming out of Israel. Right now, as of today when we're recording, about 55% of Israel's 9 million person population has been given at least one dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, and about 43% have received both doses. As a result of this vaccination, since the mid-January peak, Israel has seen around 71% fewer deaths from COVID, with almost 55% fewer cases, and 40% of people who are in hospitals in critical care. You got Israel, you've got Singapore, you've got Australia, uh, Hong Kong, I believe, or Taiwan. There's no doubt, Josh, that it is very, very important to keep our social distancing, our masking. And this is the rough part, Josh. This is the really hard part. You have to have a lot of buy-in from your society <laughs> They're going to comply and help each other out on a social level. We cannot do this with a vaccine alone. So the, the way that they were able to beat down this virus was not just they got everybody the shot. So yes, it is important that the modeling does include social distancing and masking. So we're holding our breath over here in the United States. In some cases, quite literally. Yeah, because <laughs> we know we have a cadre of just wackadoodles over here who, for whatever reason, does not want to give their fellow human beings a break and socially distance and mask and all these kind of things. So we don't know if we'll get the same type of numbers over here in terms of stopping transmission with the vaccine. We'll have to see if we get the same rate of vaccine coverage as well. So there, there's a lot of questions about this, but in a small controlled experiment that they're doing right now, this is good results. I like What it. we have seen is that if we can actually convince various populations to take the vaccine who are hesitant to, it shows 
good protection, not only from severe disease, from hospitalizable disease, but now we're seeing data that is also preventing asymptomatic infection. It is working very well against the British variant, against some of the other variants that are out there. Uh, Not enough data on the South African one or the Brazilian, Mm -hmm. as those people from those regions simply aren't making it to Israel at the moment. (laughs) Which is good. Please, guys, uh, I, I, I know we usually happy travels, but don't, don't travel, right? Uh, another story that's reassuring and moving on to our next one is we're starting to get some more info on one of the groups who we were always very hesitant to jump into for early vaccination, and that's the pregnant. So mm. it looks as though pregnant women can safely be vaccinated with both the Pfizer, BioNTech, and the Moderna vaccines. Over 30,000 women who have received these vaccines have reported pregnancies through the CDC's V-SAFE voluntary reporting system, and their rates of complications with the pregnancy are not statistically significantly different from those of unvaccinated pregnant women. Yeah, this is... It's dangerous to take this data all by itself because it is a passive reporting system. We're not going out and getting survey data from every single woman who's vaccinated and unvaccinated and checking out what their side effects are, especially if we have any uh, fetal abnormalities or preterm labor, this kind of a thing. Theoretically, Josh, it should have been fine because the only thing we really worry about in vaccination with pregnant women is if you give a live vaccine, which neither of these are because that that baby has a very underdeveloped immune system and you don't want to give something like the MMR or the varicella zoster vaccine because it could potentially cause real infection in a vulnerable thing like a, a baby. But yeah, I, we're really happy to see that this jives with what kind of theoretically that we know. It jives with the animal data. And this all started when uh, the the college for uh, obstetrics and gynecology that we have here, it's called ACOG, uh, which I love, <laughs> the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And they had made a, a, a kind of... Uh, what do you call it? It was like a hedging statement. Would you say they're like, we're not going to say no, you know, you can go for it if you need to. And if you're high risk and we all knew they were high risk because when a woman gets into third uh, month, the uh, third trimester of pregnancy, they are much more vulnerable to severe COVID than a woman who's not pregnant of the same age and all things being equal. And specifically one of the things that pregnant women are more at risk for just by virtue of being pregnant is clotting disorders. They're more likely to form clots and COVID, which I maintain the hill I'm going to die on is that it is at least part vasculitis. (laughs) By the way, I'm I'm leaning more and more towards your thing with some very beautiful basic sciences papers coming up, but I'll save it for later. I called it so long ago. (laughs) And this this podcast has the proof. We're still we're still hedging a little bit on whether it's viral invasion causing vasculitis or an immune phenomenon. But oh yeah, yeah, okay. no, that's that's fine. Yeah. But I'm still dying okay. on the hill that it's a vasculitis. No, no, no. You're you're probably a hundred percent right. <laughs> okay, go for it, go for it. It's but, too long of a conversation. <laughs> but the combination of pregnancy being a hypercoagulable or 
more likely to form clot state. COVID being a hypercoagulable disease basically means that they do encourage this vaccine because you don't need that double hit. So ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology has said, you shouldn't not give pregnant women the vaccine. (laughs) The CDC has been a little bit more assertive and said, you know, pregnancy is in group tier 1C. Mm-hmm. Um, underlying as an underlying condition, whereas the World Health Organization is recommending the vaccines only for women at a high risk of exposure or ones who have other comorbidities. Pregnancy itself is not a sufficient risk for the WHO. There's still a lot of debate about it, but for those of you who are pregnant and were worried, the data really seems to be trending in a more positive direction where it looks as though you are going to be, you know, just as safe taking this vaccine as you are for any other. Now we move on to one of my favorite stories. Santosh might, by the end of the year, have a clinical trial for a pill to treat COVID-19. Oh, nice. A little bit of background. We've currently got a single active antiviral remdesivir, which is licensed here in the United States. There's still a lot of ambiguity, Josh. We know that it's not super effective clinically. It will blunt, uh, you know, the the infection a little bit, shorten the number of days that you're sick, make the disease a little bit milder. But there was enough data where the United States and then other organizations outside, like the WHO, looked at the exact same data, and some of them, the United States, said you know what, give it a try. If you're hospitalized, if you're in the ICU, give them remdesivir, and the WHO provisionally recommended against it. So we have right now, in principle, we have an okay antiviral, but it's got to be given, you know, IV. Yeah, and that really limits the the treatment phases or schedules that we can do. You have to be sick enough to get into a hospital and then qualify, you know, for at the most recent conference on retroviruses and opportunistic infections, the CROI 2021 annual Mm -hmm. meeting, interim phase two results for a new drug were presented called Molnupiravir or Mjolnir, the drug for the worthy. Not its real name. Well, Molnupiravir is, but it just makes me sound think of Thor's hammer. So it is designed to do for patients with COVID what Oseltamivir or Tamiflu does for patients with the flu, which is basically shorten their hospital stay by about mm, three days or so. Yeah. And Josh, I mean, you know, even if it doesn't work, what are you? The god of hammers? <laughs> whosoever, the god of- whosoever takes this pill... Be he or she worthy shall immediately acquire the powers of antibodies. <laughs> uh, we're crossing our fingers on this one. The nice thing about Oseltamivir, just like you said, Josh, is in a, uh, I don't know, in in a statistically significant number of patients, which honestly and truly, not a very good clinical outcome, but in a decent outcome, if you're given oseltamivir early enough, you get a milder disease, you get a couple of days off of the flu, and that's it's a good thing. 
and and hopefully this does the same thing that you know for someone who doesn't need hospitalization you know may not even qualify to get you know convalescent antibody or monoclonal antibody as an outpatient that they can take this and at least have a less severe course or have a better statistical chance of having a less severe course um, I, I'm not in love with how we're doing with antivirals overall, like in infectious diseases. I'm much more optimistic for immune modulators and immune therapy. But, you know, it's it's good to have more tools. We can at least give it a try. After five days of treatment with, I'm just going to keep calling it Mjolnir. And <laughs> listening audience, just be aware I'm mispronouncing it and I don't care. This shouldn't well, be news to you. I, I know, I know. I will give the folks out there the wonderful, uh, you know, the the sciency name, which is the very catchy EIDD two eight zero one. Old Molnupiravir had a farm. EDIA two one one. EIDD two eight one. Okay, old McDonald. After five days of treatment. No participants who received molnupiravir had detectable virus, whereas 25% of those who received a placebo did. Doesn't talk about how severe their infection was. We're just talking about detectable viral particles. Yeah. You, you, what, what we did, Josh, is we, we kind of we, uh, blew down their viral load. Two other agents are also being developed by the same company, Red Hill Biopharma. One is designed for severe COVID 19 infections for hospitalized patients, and one is being designed as almost more of an outpatient treatment for patients at home with mild infection. Now, the severe patient one, Opaganib, or Yaliva, because you yell, I'm so relieved uh, that I don't have COVID, um, has now proceeded to a phase two, three global trial after they showed the efficacy data in the most recent meeting, and that was shown to be safe in patients. Now, here's a key feature. It was safe in patients requiring oxygen and effectively reduced the need for oxygen by the end of the treatment period. Now, that's huge. Because that can have a genuine impact on how long you have to stay into the hospital. It is very, very true that the shorter your stay in the hospital after you get critically ill, the better your chances of are of short-term and long-term survival and quality of life. We, we get sick, we get better in the hospital for a little bit, but then the, the true recovery occurs at home. So the faster you can get home, the better. And... Data from the study, it should be available mid-year, so we may revisit this one. And then the second one, the at-home milder form of the pill called uh, Upamastat, <laughs> is currently undergoing a phase two, three trial in the United States and is being investigated for use in non-hospitalized patients. So this would be you know, potentially the one where you go to your primary care doctor and they are able to say, hey, you know, this looks like it may be COVID. And instead of a pack, you get a Upamastat. Yeah. <laughs> and this is in the same class, Josh, as the protease inhibitors that we use for HIV. So this is a well-known and kind of well-understood uh, mechanism of viral inhibition It's all good things. I'm really glad we're trying to develop these antivirals. Uh, Let's see how we go. And it may be, Josh, that we, you know, we revisit this and you'll have a brand new red hill to die on.
Yeah. <laughs> well done, Santosh. Yay. So we're going to talk just at the end about another quarantine, but uh, that's that's the end of some of our COVID stories, and I guess it would be nice if we could have a little faith to faith to faith. Faith to faith. <laughs> faith to faith to faith. <laughs> Baby, yeah, that's, that, I that's know exactly you're asking me to stay. <laughs> Watching the COVID go away. Because it's giving me the blues. Maybe. <laughs> you could just get your shot today. Will it be Moderna or J&J? <laughs> Gotta, drive to, gotta drive up those antibodies. For, I don't know. I got nothing. Before, no, that, you're, you're on a tear. That was pretty good. Before this virus becomes an ocean, before I fall face down back on the floor. Uh, <laughs> this is the rest of the episode, folks. If you need to fast forward, like if you got other shit to do, is <laughs> it's the musical season. Let me have this. We've no, no, no. I've been I, locked up for a year in a room with nothing to do but sing to myself. Let's end, Josh. With... Josh Michael, <laughs> what do you want us to have faith in? Well, the vaccines and the fact that they work, and you should go out, get your shot, whatever it may be. Continue social distance, continue mask, and have faith that hopefully we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel and a return to at least a little bit more normalcy. As long as everyone, you know continues to behave responsibly and for the most part people are i i think so by and large and that's why we're seeing this kind of we're entering a little bit of a lull especially here in the united states even as we're seeing hot spots here in the united states overall the number of cases are going down the number of deaths are going down and so i do i i will put my faith in humanity that you know there's a lot of good people out there and that we're going to take care of each other and just like josh said it's going to be largely us being socially responsible regardless of what the government policy or whatever it is that we know scientifically this is how we're going to prevent the spread and we're all going to do our part as we've all been in quarantine, uh, it got me thinking about NASA's quarantine program and the very first, well, the first moon mission where we needed to have quarantines. Then as now, a pandemic, uh, one caused at that time by the H3N2 flu virus, swept across the country. And mm -hmm. for NASA officials, the quarantine's primary purpose had nothing to do with keeping the astronauts safe in space. They were no. <laughs> quarantined so they wouldn't get sick. They were quarantined because if they caught something pre-flight, NASA was like, we would spend forever trying to convince everyone after the mission that this was not some lunar organism. NASA <laughs> was like, we have to keep our astronauts locked up because otherwise people are going to think we brought back the Martian flu. Absolutely right. We didn't know if there were space germs and... Yeah, yeah. We, there was every reason to believe there were no space germs. There's no atmosphere on the moon. There wasn't any liquid water. So where the hell would a biological organism, the way we understand it, you know, like a bacteria or a virus hang out on just like a chunk of rock in space? But it's absolutely true. There, there were still people, Josh, and still people now, 
who are like, oh, dude, that's just a chunk of cheese up there. <laughs> and as we know, cheese is fermented by fungi and bacteria. So, <laughs> and yeah, so a people as well known as Carl Sagan were basically warning that, you know, if there is back contamination or any outside external to earth organism that is brought back makes it to earth. It could multiply exponentially and cause a huge problem. And Congress grudgingly paid heed and, <laughs> and advised that Sagan's warning that an outbreak from the moon could resemble direct quote, the violence of the venereal disease epidemics that raged through Europe in the Middle Ages. You guys, <laughs> Congress was worried about moon syphilis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's in the unedited, <laughs> not safe for work version of the Apollo. <laughs> Why did he have to choose venereal disease? He could have picked anything, Josh. He could have been like Spanish flu or the plague. But well, choose- <laughs> we'll, we will revisit this in the future with with our space pharmacist but basically nexa uh. did worry about this they did plan about it and truthfully if there had been any kind of lunar contamination around we honestly would have died because yeah the rush to test this facility suffered one disaster after another with the worst failures in the biological testing wing where over a hundred species of plant and animal would be challenged with moon dust and Boy, every lab in the facility suffered a containment failure. Every single <laughs> one. And we'll get into it. Oh, wow. Um, oh, dear. Okay, so, well, I'm glad so we'll come back. Okay. We'll come back to this some other time. But that's it for this week. Hopefully, we've restored a little bit of your faith in COVID, if not NASA. <laughs> Hi, Denver. Yeah, Denver Zoo. Yeah, do you have a platypus? I, Does it glow in the dark? <laughs> yeah, this is NASA. We just wondering if you had a platypus. No reason. But no reason. No reason. <laughs> no reason. Be ashamed if someone spilled some moon dust over it, though. <laughs> no, it would return to you just fine. It'll be fine. What? So <laughs> that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. If you'd like to support <laughs> us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links to uh, several of the papers used in researching this episode. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And, oh, yeah, I just totally blanked. Hey, guys, rate and review us. We love yeah. <laughs> The music is composed by Rachel Letcher. And the... until next time. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> so until next time, as always, wash your hands, wear a mask, mm. get your shot, socially distance, and once you've gone through that exhaustive list, if you can find somewhere to go that'll still take you, well then, happy travels. Bye, everybody.
no holy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.